0: To have everyone back tonight, so thankful you're here, Here, and glad to have the ones who've been to Nashville back with us again tonight. So, we're thankful for all of the good work that goes on in Lads to Leaders, the time that's put in in the local congregations, and especially the time that's put in in the weekend when you get there and all of the excitement is going on. And if you haven't been, I encourage you to try to go and to see some of the things that go on occasionally. I don't get to uh, be there as much as sometimes as I'd like to, but I do enjoy the time that I get to go. As we begin our lesson tonight, you may want to open up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, but while you're turning there, I want us all to play a game tonight. Everyone of us can play along. Our game that we're going to, what we're going to call it tonight is you be the preacher. Now, ladies, you can play along too tonight because this is just imaginary. We're not going to get you up here to preach or anything, but we're going to play along. You be the preacher. Okay? Now, while we're playing that game, here's what I want you to do. In order to be a preacher, you have to preach, don't you? But in preaching, you have to have a message, you have to have a lesson. So, the first question in our game tonight is what would you preach? If you're the preacher, you're the imaginary preacher tonight, what lessons would you preach? Now, many of us probably already have at least one sermon in mind that we'd like to preach to the whole congregation, to a lot of people. And you know, as you think about that, sometimes people pop the, put the answer there that is something that they have a particular interest in and would like to do some study on. And so they would preach about something that interests them. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's biblical and scriptural, part of God's Word, to look at some of those interests that we have because uh, heaven is certainly an interesting place and I'd love to preach on heaven a lot more sometimes than we get to. Sometimes people have a message in mind that they would like to preach, and we'll simply call that their hobby horse. They have a gripe, they have a complaint somewhere along the way, and they, they want to preach on that. And sometimes preachers get on their hobby horse, and they stay on the hobby horse every sermon they preach. They've got to get there some way or another. It's like the old guy who was preaching on baptism, and there's nothing wrong with preaching on baptism for... A person to be saved, he has to be baptized for the remission of his sins. But every Sunday he wanted to preach on baptism and baptism alone. Somebody finally told him, said, Preacher, why don't you get some lessons out of the Old Testament or something? And so he got back there in the Old Testament and he read... Uh, back over in the book of uh, Judges about, you know, we studied about it last year, about how that um, one of the judges uh, stopped some people at the river and they ask him about the, uh, to pronounce the name. And, and by the way, that river had water in it. And that, that brings me to my topic today, baptism. So, you know, as we think about that, sometimes people get on hobby horses and they want to they wanna get on those things. But as we think about the preaching that we do, does it really make any difference what we preach and how we preach it? You know, that's, a, that's another totally separate question. Does it really make any difference what we preach and how we preach it? Does it really make any difference what the content of our sermon is? One of the things that we got graded on when we were in class with Brother Winkler was the content. And I can still hear that word, as he said the word content, uh, I can still hear that word in, in my mind when he said it. Does the content of our sermons make any difference? What we, what we actually have to say. Does it really make any difference how the content is delivered to the hearers? You know, Paul tells us that we're to preach the truth how? In love. We're to preach the truth in love. Sometimes I'm fearful that some guys preach the truth out of spite. Uh, that's not a good thing, is it? So I think it does make a difference how the content is delivered. But, but somebody might say, well, I'm the preacher and as long as people are coming to church and are happy with themselves and happy with Jesus, shouldn't that be all that matters? You know, we play the numbers game. We, we talk about how to fill the building up, and every person who comes and puts uh, their, uh, themselves into a, a, a pew represents a soul who needs to be in heaven. But if we're just coming to church and always happy with ourselves and happy with Jesus, is that really all that matters? You know, we could go on playing this game tonight, talking about different aspects of it, but in reality, how many of us really give serious consideration to whether the sermons that are being preached, the sermons that you listen to, are actually scriptural? That is, according to God's Word, the things that are found within the Word of God. If something just sounds good and works, it must be right, right? Well, not necessarily, because it may not be in accordance with the Scriptures. Isn't it really what matters, the numbers? Not necessarily, because Jesus, on at least one occasion, had just about everybody leave him after a message that he presented in John chapter number 6. And then he turns to his own apostles and says, "'Will you go away also?' And they said, no, there's really nowhere, and I'm paraphrasing now, there's really nowhere to go because you are the one who has the words of life. And so preaching the truth is what truly is important. How many of us, though, of our imaginary preachers tonight, how many of us realize that the inspired apostle Paul addressed the very matters that we're playing with Tonight. That's what we find in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's look at the first five verses of that chapter. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling... And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What I want us to do tonight in the time that we have allotted is look at four things that the Apostle Paul teaches us here four things that I'd like to point out that, that I see here in this passage as, as we read it about preaching so that we can all be preachers like Paul. Now I realize in saying that many of you, ladies in particular, you may speak in ladies' classes or ladies' days or something of that nature. You'll never stand here and preach before a mixed audience of men and women together. And, and yet every single day we preach lessons to the people that we are around. And so we need to think about that as well. This applies more to public speaking, public teaching though, but think about it from that standpoint. As we begin our lesson tonight, I want us to understand from reading this that when Paul preached, he had a method and a message in mind. He had a method and a message in mind. Now if we look at it from the negative side to begin with tonight... What Paul said is that he did not preach to them. He didn't bring them a message that was based on lofty speech or lofty wisdom. Now put yourself back in the first century in Corinth, where Paul is, to whom Paul is writing here, and think about the professional Greek philosophers. Those guys were masters at making speeches. They were masters at saying something, and even if they really didn't have much to say, they made it sound really good. Paul says, I didn't come to you as one of those. I want us to remember tonight that Paul was a highly educated man. Probably the most educated, if you will, of the apostles that Jesus chose. In the book of Acts chapter 22, at verse number 3, the Bible says... Paul speaking. He says, "I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, talking about Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. Gamaliel, of course, was one of the one of the great teachers of the day, and just by Paul mentioning his name would remind people of who uh, who that man was. They they'd heard." of the teacher, the rabbi Gamaliel. And Paul says, I sat at his feet. I learned from him. I had one of the best teachers of the day. Burton Kaufman points out also that it's probable that Paul also studied in his own hometown of Tarsus, at least at some point. And he goes on and talks about how Strabo exalted above, uh, 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 he exalted Tarsus above the more famous learning centers of Athens and Alexandria. In other words, that's a long way of saying this, they had some really good teachers in Tarsus as well. And so here's Paul who's born there and then brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. He has the opportunity and he has the learning to to be an educated man of the day. And he evidently was because If you go and you look and you understand some things about the biography of Paul, Paul was excelling in the Jewish faith. He was a well-known, evidently, young guy who was an up-and-comer. And so when we look at him, we need to remember he was an educated guy. But that doesn't mean that he had to be so overly educated that he couldn't communicate, that he couldn't preach truth. He could not preach the Word of God think about this. Paul said he did not use lofty speech in his preaching. What do, you, what do we mean by that? Well, the idea is that he didn't speak in the eloquent manner of the philosophers. He, he didn't sound like one of them. Uh, his speech, his language, his demeanor evidently was much different than them. You know, as we think about the Apostle Paul, there were at that time complainers like there always are and some of them complained about the apostle Paul and we read about them in the book of 2nd Corinthians but in 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 at verse 10 here's one of the complaints that they made they said his letters are weighty and strong but his bodily presence is weak now listen to this and his speech is of no account translated for read, read from the English Standard Version. He doesn't sound like one of the smart guys. He doesn't sound like one of the philosophers. He doesn't sound like them. They're not saying that Paul was, not a, or a, uh, was a poor public speaker. They're simply saying that he didn't use the oratorical methodologies of, of the Greek philosophers. He's not like them. That's what Paul is saying here as well. He didn't come to set out to match them and to be like them. And to have people say how smart Paul was, Paul had a different goal in mind. And so he said, I didn't come to you and speak to you in lofty speech, but he also said, I didn't come to you in lofty wisdom. Didn't use that in his preaching either. Well, what do we mean by the word lofty wisdom or the idea of that? The word lofty itself means simply this, the act of overhanging, prominent, Superior. That's the definition of the word that's translated there, lofty. And so, what we see then, when we're talking about lofty speech, is that smooth, eloquent speech of the orators, the Greek philosophers. But what about the lofty wisdom? The lofty wisdom is the kind of wisdom that exalts human reasoning. The reasoning of the human mind. You know, that's what the philosophers were doing. They had their theories, they had their thoughts, and they tried to make those sound as as plausible, if you will, as they possibly could. Paul said, that's not the way I operated. You know, a lot of times in our own day, there's so many people, so many preachers who stand in pulpits, who simply want to give their opinion rather than preaching the Word. Paul would, I think, disagree with them. He'd say, that's not how it's to be done. Paul wouldn't even do that in a city like Corinth. So he said, I didn't come with lofty speech or lofty wisdom, but here's how Paul did come. Remember what he said, that when he came... According to verses 1 through 5, that when he came, he did not proclaim the testimony of God with this lofty speech or lofty wisdom. In other words, what Paul proclaimed was the testimony of God, God's declaration to mankind. Paul is simply saying, this is what God says. How many times in the Old Testament books... Do we read, thus says the Lord. You're reading from the King James, thus saith the Lord, many times. You see, those Old Testament prophets, those men back there, said, this is what God said. And that's what Paul was doing, and that's what any gospel preacher should be doing. This is what God said. What is meant by... God's declaration to mankind, God's testimony or the testimony of God. Well, I think for the amount of time that we have tonight, let's just make it short. Do you remember in the prayer of Jesus back in John chapter 17, verse number 17, that Jesus prayed this? He said, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is Truth. I've already said it tonight. The Apostle Paul spoke truth. God's truth. You see, when Paul preached the Word of God, the testimony of God, the declaration of God, depending upon which translation you're reading from, when Paul preached that, he was simply preaching the good news of the gospel. That's what Paul was preaching He was preaching that to the Corinthians and he didn't use human reasoning or flowery speech to get that across. He simply and plainly presented the truth. Our world needs a simple and plain declaration of the Word of God in our own day. But so many want to hear the flowers. And they want the lofty speech. They want the lofty wisdom. Paul said, I didn't come doing that. Well, why? Here's why. Paul knew the power was not in the man, but it was in the message. That's where the power was. Remember some of Paul's other writings? Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to the salvation um, of all, of, of, uh, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul knew the power was in the Word, God's Word, what he was teaching them, what he was preaching to them. The writer of the book of Hebrews says it this way, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, to the joints and the marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It's alive and it's powerful. In the book of Acts chapter 20 at verse 32, when the apostle Paul was talking to the elders at Ephesus as he was about to depart from them, he said this in uh, that passage, I commend you to God. To the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul knew where the power was. It wasn't in him sounding smart. It wasn't in him giving some kind of, uh, of long lesson with words that he had conjured up in his own educated mind to make people believe something. The power was in the Word. Paul said there in that passage as well that he had decided to do something. He decided not to know anything among them save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When Paul says he had decided, there's a conscious thing on his part that he chose not to do it in the way that the Greek philosophers would do it. He chose consciously to do it the way God would have him to do it. The word decided there means to judge, to come to a, a verdict or to, uh, to decree. She used several times in the New Testament, but let me give you a couple of passages. In the book of Acts chapter 3 verse 13, the Bible says, "...the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified this servant Jesus." whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. That's the word that is used here in the uh, second chapter of 1 Corinthians. You see, the decree that Pilate made was that he is an innocent man. He's done nothing worthy of death. It wasn't until after the people started crying out, Crucify him! Crucify him! and started accusing Pilate of not being Herod's friend, that they talked him out of his judgment, out of his decree. It's used again in another passage in the book of Acts, chapter 13, at verse 46. Matter of fact, a passage that we used this morning, if you were here with us. The Bible says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, talking to the Jewish people, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. Remember this morning we talked about how that the Jewish people had judged themselves unworthy. They had decreed themselves unworthy by their actions, by, their, by the things that they were doing. Now, Paul said he had decided not to know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What does it mean? What does Paul mean when he says that he was simply going to preach to them Jesus Christ and Him crucified? I wrote down some things. Listen to them. For Paul to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified, he'd have to preach the virgin birth of Christ because Christ couldn't get here without that. He'd have to preach about his baptism, because that's preaching about his life, his miracles, his missions, his teachings, his death, his burial, his resurrection. But his life doesn't stop there because he's resurrected and he's still going on. So where did he go? He ascended back to heaven. So we've got to talk about that. We can't talk about his leaving without talking about his coming back because as he was ascending back into heaven, even the angel said, this same Jesus whom you see going back, he'll come again. So we can't talk about uh, his ascension without talking about his coming back. Uh, it talks about, we would have to talk about his plan of salvation, his requirements for us to follow here on this uh, earth. We'd have to talk about his church because he is the head of the body. We'd have to talk about all of that. Paul would have to talk about all of that. He'd have to talk about his promises. He'd have to talk about his warnings. And you can go on. You can see what Paul meant when he was talking about Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's just another way of saying this. Again, what he said in the book of Acts chapter 20 at verse 27, we looked at verse 32 a minute ago. Paul said to those same elders at Ephesus, he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Folks, let me ask you a question tonight. How many books in the Bible are about Christ? Be careful before you answer that. Many people say, well, there are four that are about Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If we read them, we'd be good. We'd be sort of like what Paul said, if we just preach Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, there are 66 books in the Bible. And just to let you know, if you say there are only four about Christ, you're only 62 short because the whole bible is about christ even back in the book of genesis as far back as chapter number three we start talking about the one who would crush the head of satan who would be the seed of the woman you can't talk about and this is just a a couple of examples can't talk about uh, uh, exodus without talking about christ because you read about the passover in exodus can't talk about the book of Leviticus without thinking about Christ because you learn the Levitical priesthood. You learn about priesthood. Jesus is a prophet, a priest, and a king. And you go all the way through and you read about the people that, that would bring Jesus into the world and how God preserved them for a purpose to get them a Savior into the world. When you go to the New Testament, you can't just talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because when you get to Acts, you're talking about what Jesus sent back through the Holy Spirit for the apostles to tell the world how to be saved. You can't talk about Romans and all of the other books without talking about his church. Again, which he is the head of, and it's his body. You can't even talk about the book of Revelation without talking about the Christ. And we could go through and we could see Christ in every single book of the Bible. There are 66 of them. And so to preach the whole counsel of God, as Paul did, is to preach and teach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so as we think about him tonight, Paul had a message and he had a method. There's only three more things. Let's talk about them. When Paul preached, Paul had all the shortcomings of a man. That's something else I see about the preaching of Paul. He had all the shortcomings of a man. Look at verse 3 again if you have your Bible open. Verse 3 said that I was with you in weakness. I was with you in weakness. What does he mean by that? The word weakness is a word which means malady, infirmity, sickness, We know from reading passages such as the one in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 13, that Paul had some bodily ailment. Paul said there, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Many believe that it was possible that Paul was suffering from some physical sickness even while he was at Corinth. Which leads me to ask this question. Did Paul sometimes preach when he didn't even feel like it? When his physical health was in jeopardy? Paul said, I was with you in weakness. He had the feelings, the infirmities of a man. But not only did he say, I was with you in weakness, notice what else he said. I was with you in fear and much trembling. What does he mean by that? Did Paul have some trepidation about preaching in Corinth? Do you know the nickname of Corinth? It's the same nickname we give one of our cities here in the United States of America. When people go to Las Vegas, they talk about going to Sin City. And Corinth was known as Sin City. Did Paul have some fear about going there, preaching in that city? Do you remember what said in the book of Acts, chapter 18, verses 9 and 10? And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Guess where Paul's at before I finish reading this? Guess where Paul's at when this happens? Corinth. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are are my people. You know, in this small amount of information that we have from God, God knew that it was necessary to include that part to tell us about Paul. That he had to approach him one night in a vision and reassure him. What did he reassure? Don't be afraid. Paul said when he wrote to the the Corinthians, he said, I was with you in fear and much trembling. We don't think of the Apostle Paul having fear about preaching, do we? Because he was willing to give his life. He goes through all the things that, that happened to him, even those stonings and those beatings. But how would you have liked to have gone through that? He wasn't just a glutton for punishment, he was man. But he kept on doing what God wanted him to do. Folks, we sometimes fear and tremble when we face some of our duties in the kingdom, but we must press on like Paul. Courage is developed individually. Do you remember in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 29? the prayer that was prayed? And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to uh, your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And those apostles did. And Paul did. But he's just like us. When our heart pounds and our knees knock, And all of those fears go running through us. Paul said, I was with you in much fear and trembling. Next, when Paul preached, he preached with evidence in his hands. It wasn't something he just thought of. He preached with evidence in his hands. Look at verse 4 again. He said, my speech and my message were not in... Reading from the English Standard, not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That word plausible, in my opinion, is probably not the best word. The word that's translated there means persuasive or enticing words. You know, some people can almost convince you of anything. You can be looking and the sun is shining and some people can almost convince you that it's dark outside. Right? They just got that slick way of doing things. Paul said, I did not do that. But in the first century, God provided miraculous evidence through the hands of his apostles. Paul said when he preached he could back it up with a powerful demonstration, if you will, provided to him through the Spirit of God. Mark 16, verse 20, they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the accompanying signs. That's what Paul talks about. Why don't we have miraculous things going on today. Well, folks, all of that evidence presented by these men, such as Paul, was firmly established before many witnesses. And we have it faithfully recorded in his book. And that's all we need. I don't have to travel to California to know that it's there. There are a lot of things that I don't have to see with my own eyes to know that it's true because others have seen and touched and known. God saw fit in His Word to have all of these things written down and faithfully recorded so that we have evidence that is firmly established. Paul did that while he was with them. Number four, when Paul preached, he had an objective in mind. The way that he preached, the manner, the message that he preached, he had an objective in mind. What we need to do is go back to verses four and five again. He says, My message, uh, speech, and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that. Here's why Paul is doing what he did and how he did it. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know what Paul didn't want them to do? Paul didn't want them to say, I'm of Paul. He didn't want some others to say, I'm of Apollos. He didn't want another group to say, I'm of Cephas, Peter. He wanted them all to say, I'm of Christ. How many of the mega churches today are built on a man? You know what we mean by the mega churches? Those that that have so many that have flocked in because they have a charismatic leader. How many of them are built on a man? How many of those men sometimes fall? You see, man's wisdom is ever-changing. What we consider wisdom... Today uh, was unthinkable many years ago. And you know what? Man's wisdom is also cyclical. What do you mean by that? Let me illustrate. You know, there was a time when most people believed the earth was flat, right? We know that it's round, don't we? Except for How many of you have been hearing a lot in the news lately about the flat earthers? Some guy tried building himself a rocket so the other day he could prove that the earth was flat. A homemade one. Man doesn't know which direction to go so many times. No wonder God said it's not in man to direct his own paths. We, we change things up, we, we get confused one day, bacon is good for you, the next day it's not, and the third day, eat more of it, because it tastes good. But God is never changing. God's wisdom never changes. Men fail, God never will And though our wisdom and our character and our words as men may change, God's Word never changes. Therefore, it is reliable. It is powerful. And it is ever new and relevant to every new generation as long as this old earth is allowed to remain. Our preaching needs to convert people to Christ, not to a church, not to a man, not to a doctrine or a methodology. We're to convert people to Christ. Again, remember, preaching Christ is preaching the whole counsel of God. That's what we need in our world today. That's the kind of preaching our world is hungry for. That's the kind of preaching that will convert souls and make people have the opportunity to spend eternity with God. Paul talked about being a preacher in Corinth. And as we look at him tonight, he had a method and a message even though he was a man. And this Paul, as we look at him, he had a goal in mind of getting people to heaven. And so he based his evidence that he presented to them on what God gave him and people could see, people could hear, and people could believe. And we have it written down for us right here. Maybe you're here tonight and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you want to make your life right with Him by putting Him on in baptism. We'd love to assist you with that. Maybe you're here tonight and something stands between you and God that you need to make right tonight. If that's the case. Why don't you do that right now? As